So I, I like at the beginning of the calendar year and, and sometimes at the beginning of the school year to do something that's a back to basics. The plan is that we're going to study the book of Hebrews and the New Testament this fall and Lord willing into the winter after Christmas a little bit. But I just wanted to do a, a standalone sort of a back to basics this morning about who we are. If you come over to our house sometime, and I hope you, you will, in our dining room, there's a picture by the dining room table of uh, old black and white photos of our family, um, family on my wife's side, Dana's side, and on my side. And the middle picture, sort of the pride of place, is this group photos, black and white, almost brown old photo. It's a group of people, and in the middle of that photo, in the middle of all the other pictures, is this old man, and it's Henry Habig. It's my great-great-grandfather that came here from, he, he would have said Bavaria from Germany. Uh, and I just, I just stare at that picture sometimes. He looks kind of like my dad, or I should say that my, my dad looked like, like him. Uh, my, my oldest son, Henry, that's his namesake, Henry Habig. Uh, a little bit over to the, from your point of view, to the left is a photo of my grandfather. I never met him. He died before I was born, Paul Habig Sr. And it's a photo that was taken when he was about 16 years old. And he's standing next to his sister. And he's standing like this. And he's smiling without showing any teeth. Do you know anyone like that? I mean, it's, it's, it's so bizarre. that I, And I had not seen that photo for most of my Life And when I came across it, I just thought, good grief, that is exactly how I stand and smile. You know, that this actual DNA is in me, although I never, never met him or got to see him. Um, I want to think this morning about the DNA of the people of God. And I'm not, I'm not so much talking about actual physiological DNA, ethnic DNA, but I'm talking about the way we talk about um, a culture has a DNA, or an organization has a DNA. And, and what I want to look at is, what is the DNA of God's people? And when you talk about God's people, that, that has a specific meaning. When you look in the Scriptures, going all the way back to Genesis, it was even in the call to worship this morning, the Bible will talk about the peoples of the earth, the nations of the earth. But there is this point where God began the people of His own, singular. And this passage is where that really, humanly speaking, begins. And what I want to look at is how, just even what you have recorded here in, in, the, in the few details that we have, how in a lot of ways it sets the DNA for God's people, for our identity, and even for our experience. So let's look at this. This is Genesis chapter 12. And you're going to hear from a, a, about a famous person. His name has not been changed yet. It's going to be changed to Abraham. He's now called Abram. Uh, I, and I want to remind you before I read this what we've already heard in worship. Because when the New Testament reading was given, you heard, and this is a big deal in the New Testament, that when all kinds of people, Gentiles or Jewish ethnically, when they believe in Jesus the Messiah, by faith, they become children of Abraham. Not pretend children of Abraham. 
They become the people of God. They become the children of Abraham. If you're here this morning and you believe in Jesus the Messiah, God's view is not that it's sort of like you're a child of Abraham. His view is that you are a son or daughter of Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot, that's his nephew, went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and all the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negeb. This is God's Word. Let's pray together. Our Father, some are here and They know who their great-great-great-grandparents are, and they know their lineage, and they feel a strong sense of identity. And some are here who come from very fractured families, maybe very chaotic, and they don't know their family tree. They don't know their background and may feel that really they don't have a story. And we pray that you would open up our eyes to your word to see that there is this this great family, this great nation, this great narrative of which you are the author and the source and the Father. Uh, Open up your word to us and change our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I've mentioned this maybe a a time or two. I've been trying not to over-mention it, but I, I had the opportunity this past spring to visit Israel for the first time. And um, I I guess it was on my bucket list, but I don't know when I thought I was going to get there. And an opportunity really actually sort of fell in my lap. So my wife Dana and I were able to go with a a group to to see this place that I'd read about, heard about all my life, seen pictures of all my life. And and, uh, if you ever are able to go, if it works out, I I hope you'll go. But uh, the, the latter part of the trip for several days was in Jerusalem. We ended the trip appropriately in Jerusalem. And at the hotel where our group was staying, 
down in the you know, lobby, you had like a big restaurant and seating area like you have in a lot of uh, hotels. And something that we noticed is that there was a pretty good turnout in this hotel of Hasidic Jews. And I don't know if you know what Hasidic Jews are. You know, there's, there's, there's a real spectrum of what Judaism looks like and how it's practiced, but way, way, way over on the Orthodox side, the, the strict side, would be Hasidic Jews. And if you've ever seen photos of uh, men in broad-brim black hats and black suits, and, and they've grown out the hair on the side of their heads and big beards and all that, that's uh, either a Hasidic Jew or some kind of an Orthodox Jewish man. Very strict, uh, all about studying Torah and commentary on the Torah. Very strict. So, but so it's fascinating. I'd seen photos of, of that of that people group all my life. I'd never seen them. And so one day I was down uh, down in the lobby with some friends, and we were eating. And I saw a guy coming my way, and so I I stopped him, and I said, "May I may I ask you a question?" And he said do you speak English? No, no, excuse me. He said, I don't speak English. And I thought, that sounded like English <laughs> when he said, I don't speak English. And uh, he said, do you speak Hebrew? I said, no. I barely remember how to work the vocabulary of it. Uh, do you speak Yiddish? And I said, no. And he just walked off. And it, it, it really rubbed me the wrong way. And it's funny, the verse that popped in my mind was, this is from the Old Testament, is that, that the people of God would be a light to the nations, that they would be a light to the nations. And that's, that's part of his tradition, that's part of his scriptures. And I thought about it, and I thought, you know what, you just got a little taste of your own medicine. She was on the other foot. Because that little exchange just then is how we make a lot of non-Christians feel. Now, they may have almost no biblical literacy, almost no Bible knowledge, but there's a lot of people that know, at least, that Christians are to be about uh, love, you know, and faithfulness, and goodness, and sacrifice. And they look at how we live, and uh, they, if they don't feel hatred, they feel great apathy from us toward them. Uh, I've had two different men in my life who've worked a lot with getting the gospel out there, going into areas that are not predominantly Christian, not very churched, one of them in particular. And both of them has, have almost quoted each other when, when the question's been asked, what do you think the average American non-Christian feels from Christians? The answer has been, he or she feels that Christians hate them. Now, you may feel like, I, I, don't, I don't think that's who I am. I, what, what I want to own is that that's how we're coming across. And so I, I want to look at this passage because this passage is when the DNA is set that God blesses his people beyond what anybody could have guessed or dreamed. He blesses his people so that they will be a blessing. And if you've ever heard that expression in a Bible study or church or whatever, that we are blessed, that we might be a blessing, all those tributaries and streams go back to Genesis 12. 
So let's look at this. What, what is our DNA? And again, I, when I say the people of God, I don't mean all human beings. I mean those who believe in God's provision that we might know Him and be saved. Those whose faith is in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the people of God. What is our DNA? That may or may not be you this morning, but I'm just glad you're here, and I'm glad you're here, that you're thinking about this uh, together. So let, let's think about three things in the DNA. Grace, disruption, and blessing. All right, grace, disruption, and blessing. Now, how do you see grace? And I always feel like we've got to go back to square one, define our terms. What is Grace. Grace is something so much bigger and stronger than niceness. And, I, and the way I used to explain it is that, that grace is favor in the absence of merit. Grace is favor in the absence of earning it or deserving it. And it's so much more than that. Grace is favor in the presence of demerit. It's favor in the presence of demerit. Now, how do you see grace in this passage. First off, notice how it begins. This passage doesn't begin with Abram looking for God. And in my own study, I found both a a Christian commentator and and a really an accomplished Jewish commentator made the same observation about Genesis 12 verse 1, that the story of God having a people does not begin with the people. It begins with the voice of the Lord, just like the beginning of the Bible does. Creation begins with the voice of the Lord. Redemption begins with the voice of the Lord. God begins talking to Abram. Now, who is Abram? And this gets really interesting because, uh, now this won't be everybody, but like if you've grown up around the church, been around the Bible, Abraham just feels like he's this Bible person and he lived in Bible lands and he was just always Bible-ish. And so you kind of feel like he grew up going to vacation Bible school and had lemon cookies and red punch and went to Sunday school. And that is explicitly not how he started out. Abram came from a pagan family. Now look in, look in verse 1. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country. Now originally his family had been in Ur of the Chaldeans. And at some point, they relocated to another place called Haran. Look in verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Who was worshipped in Haran? And according to archaeologists, according to historians that know about this kind of thing, the deity in Haran was a moon deity. Abram and his people worshipped a moon god. Yes, that Abram. Uh, That is what you call straight-up paganism. So why would the Lord... You know, like when you look at Google Earth, it's fun to do Google Earth. You've got Earth, and then you can zero in on North America, and then South Carolina, and then Greenville, and then your neighborhood, and then you go to your house. Sometimes you can see your car in the driveway. You can go from that to that. Genesis 12 has... The story of redemption going from Google Earth to this one man named Abram. Why does it zero in on this man? And the Bible does not answer that question. Why does God love him? 
because he loves them. Why does God say, I'm going to bless you? Because it is the purpose of God to bless him. Why would God bless and set apart this pagan worshiper instead of some other pagan worshiper? Because God loves him. Why does he love him? Because God loves him. That's what grace is. That when Abram was going his own way, the Lord broke into his life and brought him to himself. Um, you know, Greenville is a churchy place. Did you know that? Greenville is a churchy place. And, uh, and so when you have a churchy place, you've got, you know, churchy radio stations. And I think this was about 10 years. It's when I was still sort of more new around here. There's a radio station you can still listen to in Greenville. And it, like, if you want to hear old-fashioned, like country preaching, King James only sermons, you can, you can hear them on the station. And so it, I had it as a preset on my radio. And I remember one day I just, I just I thought about it. I don't know what I was, where I was going. And I thought about it. And so I turned it on. And I, this is embarrassing to admit, but I'm going to be, you know. I think I turned it on to be condescending. You know, do you know what I mean? Like, I think I, I, think I it's like when you look at televangelists on TV. Like, why are we doing that? I think it was so I could roll my eyes. And uh, so I, I, it's like mid-sermon, and there's a guy, and I mean, if you think I have a southern accent, I'm from Buffalo, New York, compared to the guy who was preaching. And, and he's talking about his own life. And he says, and I'm in country, King James only. And he says, and I was going my own way. And I didn't know I was perishing, but I was headed toward perishing. And he reached down and grabbed me when I couldn't come to him and brought me to himself. And two things happened. Number one, I felt chastened for being arrogant. And number two, it ministered to me. Because if there is anything that is screamed from the rooftops in the Old and the New Testament, especially the New Testament, it is that if you know God, and if you have experienced His mercy, if you have a relationship with Him, it is not because of you. We have done everything imaginable to sabotage the relationship and to sabotage closeness and boy this is a big one to sabotage affection being extended toward us and he loves his people because he is gracious that is in the DNA of God's people do you know why we get so ticked off at non-Christians do you know why we get so impatient with people who don't believe like we are because we forget that this is by grace We feel like this makes all the sense in the world. Now, extend some sense the way I extended some sense. Rather than what it says in black and white, that when we were dead, he made us alive. Grace is in the DNA. Disruption is in the DNA. Uh, Here's Abram. He's living his life. He's 75 years old. 
Do you want to uh, leave everything familiar when you're 75 years old? All your roots, all your people, all the buildings you like. I'm sure he had his little barbecue place that he loved to go to more than the other barbecue places in Haran. Verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. In other words, everything that's your identity and stability to the land that I will show you. Where's that? I will show you. Verse 4, so Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him when he departed from Haran. Look in verse 6. Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem. Verse 8, from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel. Verse 9, and th- th- boy, this one drives it home. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. I mean, it, God shows up. God extends grace. God speaks to this man instead of any of the other men. And says how gracious he's going to be to him. And then it's move, 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 disruption, disruption, disruption. And boy, besides that, how about this one? Go back to verse Go back to verse uh, 2. And I will make of you a great nation. Uh, That's weird because I don't have any children. And neither I nor my wife are spring chickens. I'm 75 years old. She's barren. And you're going to make of me a great nation? And God says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And then go down to verse 4. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So, One of the blessings is, I'm going to make you a great nation. All right. All right. He actually appeared. It says the Lord appeared to Abram. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to do these things. Go where I show you to go. All right. And so Abram turns 80, and there's no kids. And he turns 85, and there's no kids. And he turns 90, and there's no kids. And he turns 95. And on and on and on. Disruption. I really want you to feel that this morning. It's not just about our feelings, but I want you to experience that. That if you if you if you are a professing believer and you've ever been in the in the, in the experience of whether you said it out loud or not. Okay, God, here's what you say in your word, and here's what you promise in your word, and here's how life is actually going. And it just seems like there's this insurmountable gap between the two. That was Abram from the outset. Because God is not committed to our comfort in this world. In fact, he brings disruption. Uh, A couple of applications about that. One is this. You know, community groups are really about to kick back in. You just heard something about that. Community groups are not the only small group ministry in our church, but it's the primary small group ministry in our church. And we really tell church members, we want and expect you to be a part of this. And this thing that happens every year, multiple times, is that a group spends time together, and they eat together, and they pray together, and they have fun together, and sometimes they cry together. And they get to know each other, and maybe it grows a little bit and just takes on this real life of its own. And just when some people started feeling great about it, it needs to multiply. And can we not call it split? 
Okay, can we not cut? Like Brian Hamby, one of our elders, he's the point man for uh, community groups. He said this beautifully at a training time Sunday night. He said, yeah, let's not try to split the kingdom of God. We're trying to see the kingdom of God grow. But it comes time for one of these groups to multiply. And boy, man, there's resistance inside of us, isn't there? I want it to keep feeling like this. And there is this blessing that has come through these groups that none of us knew about on the front end, and it's not from our cleverness. But these groups have helped, you might say, sort of grow our disruption muscle. And that muscle does not want to be worked. But it's grown it in us to say, ah, it kills me that now I'm not going to be seeing you for this particular time every week or every two weeks. But we need to do this. We need to do it for the kingdom. We need to do it for people who are not yet involved in something like this so they can experience this. Um, Let me say this too, though. What about church plants? If community groups are somewhat disruptive, church plants, uh, we've only planted one church so far, Grace and Peace Presbyterian. It is a mile that way. And, uh, man, we had talked about planting a church for a while. We were excited, though, that finally... A few years ago, the ball really, you know, the ball was in motion, and we start, and we have the funding for it, and Tim Udodge says he's willing to do it, and we got so excited, we're, we're not going to talk about it anymore, we're really going to do this, and then I started hearing the names of the people who were going to go. And I remember on one occasion, one family's name, I just thought, you know, they're going to the, I just assumed they would stay. And what a blessing for them, but hurt, hurt. Look in verses 8 and 9. On the go, Abram, from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west, I on the east. And what did he do? There he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. It says it earlier when he was at the Oak of Moreh in Shechem. He built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. What does that, what does that show you? You know, it feels like... Uh, For me to worship, it has to look like this. Or for me to worship, you have to be there. Or for me to worship, it has to feel like this. And you know what is in the DNA of our people is that you worship the Lord wherever you are. And that's a call to grow churches, and it's a call to plant new ones. But it's disruptive. And I want you to embrace that. I want to name it, and I want you to embrace it. It's part of our DNA. But the last one is this, and hopefully this came through loud and clear already, is just part of our DNA is blessing. I don't even want to say part. It is the DNA of blessing. And it's a two-way blessing. It's a blessing you get, and then it's a blessing you become. Look in verses 2 and 3. And I will make of you a great nation. Now get this. And I, this is God will bless you, Abram, and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And then what? And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God blesses Abram. Abram becomes a blessing. How does that pan out? God blesses Abram. Well, He experienced a lot of material blessing, but he didn't really see the big things he was promised. He was promised land. 
But he didn't really see his, inhabitant, uh, his descendants inhabit that land. He was promised that he would become a great nation. He didn't really see the fulfillment of that, the scope of it. But it happened. But then there was this promise that in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, how does that pan out? And there's some really cool places in the Old Testament where you see that spark. Abraham's great-grandson, one of them, was a guy named Joseph. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. And through an odd set of circumstances, Joseph becomes second only to Pharaoh in the land of Egypt, which was the global superpower of that time. And when there's a famine all over the known world, the nations of the earth come to Egypt because they have food. And the nations say, what do we do? And Pharaoh says, talk to Joseph and do whatever he says. And literally, a descendant of Abraham is a blessing to the nations and the families of the earth. You get King Solomon, same thing. But what is the great fulfillment? Um. You know what the opening words of the New Testament are? If you start with Matthew, like we do. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. The New Testament begins with a genealogy from Abraham to Jesus The great fulfillment of the promises to Abraham is that it's God speaking to us and to Abram. I'm going to take care of everything that's wrong. I'm going to take care of everything that's wrong with you individually, physically, and spiritually. I'm going to take care of everything that is wrong with this broken, shattered world. And I'm going to bless you and make you a blessing by cursing my son and making him a curse. We already read that this morning from Galatians. That when Jesus was on the cross, he became a curse. That the only way that God could say to people like us, I will bless you, I will make your name great you will be a blessing to the nations, was for him to look at his son and say, I will curse you. I will make you a curse. Your name will be mocked in Jerusalem. The anger of not only the Jewish people, but the Roman people will heap up on you. And my wrath will fall on you. Jesus gets the curse that we deserve and that Abraham deserved and that every believer deserves that we might have the blessing that Jesus deserves. Jesus, the great seed of Abraham, the great offspring of Abraham is the great fulfillment. How we are blessed and how we become a blessing. Uh, Abraham was promised land. If you're sitting here thinking, I like the spiritual concept, but I'd also kind of like some land. Me too. You will get your land. 
I mean, I really think, I'm not being flippant when I say this, I really do think that at the return of Christ, at the blessing of the righteous, when we inhabit the new heavens and the new earth, I think a lot of us are going to be turning to each other going, I thought this was a metaphor. He, he really did give us land and wealth and shining bodies and reconnection. Pure love flowing between all of us. Unbroken communion with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Joy all the time, and nobody's wondering when the shoe is about to drop. He really did it. He really is going to do that. I can't make you believe that, and I can't make you feel it, but He really is going to do that. For the children of Abraham. But let me say this too, and I'm going to end on this. Uh, I don't often end with like a challenge. I think churches can overdo that sometimes, but maybe we're under-challenged, so I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna to do that every time I say challenge. Our denomination issued a challenge through our foreign missions arm called Mission to the World, MTW. And we've announced it, but I want to I want to push it on you some this morning. MTW was just looking at how big the world is getting, how much need there is, how many resources we have, and said, look, we we need more men and women around the world to spread the good news of Jesus. What if we asked our churches in our denomination to to tithe their members, give 10% of the members to foreign missions, And I think there was probably a massive response of, that'll never happen. So they said, well, what if we said 1%? What if 99% stay and 1% go? And so for downtown Presbyterian, that would mean about seven people. And we don't do this very often, but you know, the pastors and the elders of downtown Presbyterian are praying that this will happen. And I, I, I just, I cannot adequately convey to you how thankful I am for how you are a blessing to people. I mean, just a few weeks ago, my neighbor across the street, who's a nurse, who works with one of our members, so one of us, one of your names came up, and she said, oh. She is the best. I was such a blessing for me to hear that one of you who's just out there doing sort of faithful, behind-the-scenes kingdom work as a nurse, that someone across the street from me feels the blessing of that. You are a blessing. But could 1% of us go to other nations? And we are going to continue praying. We're not going to guilt trip. We're not going to manipulate. But we're going to pray that 1% of us who have this river of blessing coming down to us go out and share the water, share the stream as the children of Abraham. So let's pray that right now. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, We would say before you what I've just said, that uh, guilt trips, 
manipulation won't make us love people won't make us see the blessings that we have every spiritual blessing in Christ we pray that you would push that deep down in our hearts and father if there's any man or woman or child here this morning who who is not yet the seed of Abraham who has not yet believed in the Messiah would you give him or her faith to trust you just like Abram believed you and you credited that to him as righteousness, that you'll do that this morning in that person's life. Father, if you have called us to stay put, to to be a blessing here, then make us strong, make us fruitful, give us joy. But Almighty God, Lord of the harvest, if you would send us to another nation, would you overcome all the obstacles? Give us zeal and courage, resources. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.